Cavs.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for the sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Pleasure Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is again Tuesday. We keep doing Tuesdays. This is uh, this is some sort of record. Uh, it's April 17th. It's tax day, even though the IRS website apparently crashed. Uh, I promise I didn't do it. Um, I have uh, a good buddy of mine back on the show to talk spring football, um, just as we did a few weeks ago um, from CBS 19 Sports up in Charlottesville. My buddy Damon Dillman is back on the show. How are you, my friend? Have I reached friend of the program status yet? I think you have. I mean, look, you've been on here twice. You didn't ask to. This will be your second time. You haven't asked me for any sort of compensation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you haven't gone around and told anyone that, um, um, that, that I suck or that the show sucks or anything. So I think you, yeah, I think you pretty much by my very low meager standards, you are definitely a friend of the program. Well, as long as you keep the bar low, (laughs) you can follow Damon's work, um, on Twitter at Damon Dillman. You can also check out Cavs corner on Twitter, Cavs underscore corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional woody banter that really worked. That flowed. And you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to do that thing I just did, where you talk, where you bring credit. You know, you shine the light on it. But I did, and I don't care. It was good. Um, David, like, there was I another football it, practice. There was another football practice. We got to actually see football. Like there were pads, and there were people, and they did a lot of special team stuff, which was. And they didn't let you film anything because they're being super uh, cautious about uh, formations and eleven on work. Well, that's not um, entirely true. We could film stretching. Right, you could film that, which you know, and individual great video. work, yeah, yeah. So, but just no, not nothing eleven on eleven, on 11. Yeah. not eleven on eleven, and none of the quarterback stuff. Yeah, I, I gotta admit, I, I don't think that, that as as somebody who doesn't rely on practice video the way maybe you do, it didn't strike me as that odd. Is that weird for you to to go to an event and basically they say like, yeah, yeah, don't film anything that people would care about? Like, well, what? Is that it's, new? Is that different for you? It's been a rule since Bronco and his staff have been here that when we're at practice, we're not we're never allowed to shoot any eleven on eleven. So that that's nothing. That's been the rule since these guys took over two springs ago. It was the the stuff about the uh, the quarterback stuff was new. That was a new wrinkle for this practice last week. However, I will say a little a little anecdote about that. Uh, I do remember two years ago when this staff first took over being told by somebody at UVA that when these guys came in, they told some of the guys in Virginia sports.tv who are at practices all the time and that kind of stuff that when they were still at BYU and they played UVA, they went onto the website and they watched a lot of the practice stuff that Virginia sports had shot. And they were able to glean a lot from that and use that in game planning for UVA when they played them those two times, the home and home while they were still at BYU. So they were obviously able to use it, so that would indicate that I'm sure other coaches, other staffs are at least at least trying to use it. And so, I mean, we could have used the extra clicks maybe uh, on newsplex.com, but, <laughs> but I mean, no, that's – I mean, I've been at other places where coaches will be – coaches will be a lot, a lot more nonchalant about it maybe and just be like, hey, just don't shoot this. We don't want this getting out. We don't want anybody seeing that. And you respect it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's, you know, they let us come in. We can res- we can play by their rules. It's not a big deal. Yeah, no doubt. I feel like uh, as somebody who, who deals in the trade of information, at least in terms of, you know, when it comes to recruiting and, you know, who's co- who coaches are going to go visit and who, who they're going to host on visits and stuff. Like, uh, it, it's weird to me that, like, we have reached, like, uh, the golden age, so to speak, of information, right? Anything you want to know is out there, except – we've also reached a place where, where, where I feel, I feel like coaches are more paranoid than they've ever been. You know, it used to be that, you know, you'd see, um, I remember, uh, I was at an open practice, 
uh, in Scott Stadium once, and John Tenuta picked out some guy who had who had, I guess come <laughs> and he was standing at the top of the. Um, do you remember this? He was standing at the top of the um, the stadium, at the very edge of the of the upper deck, and he was like, "Who's that guy?" And he wanted them to like go check him out because they thought he was like, I don't really? know, really, no, I don't remember or, that. Yeah, I, he I, he was like, "Who is that?" Like, "Who is that?" And everybody was like, "Who is he talking about?" Um, but yeah, it's it's weird to me that coaches. I mean, I guess coaches in general are by by nature are somewhat paranoid. Um, that is hysterical though that they actually use Virginia Sports's. Yeah, that's uh, the story I was told two years ago. So. I mean, you can understand if they if they were able to do it, you can understand they'd be a little concerned that other teams right. are doing the same thing. So, right. yeah. Now, flip side of it, I mean, before I came here, I was at JMU covering Mickey Matthews' teams, and I'd literally be – there were times when I'd be standing next to coaches in drills, and they were about as open as it could get. So there are two – I mean, there are two schools of thought on it. JMU's a lot more locked down than it used to be in those days too, though. So True. I definitely agree with you that – this is the way things are trending, the direction things are trending. Yeah, especially because now, because a lot of the schools have like their own in-house, you know, I mean, look, I don't, I mean, I, I think that among, um, among sites like mine, I really respect, I, I mean, I got a, a high opinion of the video work that we do um, with interviews and stuff, but I mean, you're not going to find anybody who gets the access nor the quality of the, of the in-house, you know, um, the team itself. And so I, I think a lot of schools are kind of, you know, doing that and it's more prevalent. Um, one thing I do think we can do, we can extrapolate out from the fact that they don't want us to see this thing. So that's probably a thing we should focus on. We finally got to watch uh, more practice, more actual football. I guess I asked, I, I believe I opened up the last podcast you were on by asking you the same sort of blanket question. What kind of stood out to you? And I'm going to do it again. In terms of last Thursday's practice, what really stood out to you about, about what you saw? Well, since I since I wasn't allowed to shoot it, I was able to pay a little bit more attention to it. And I just think I think Bryce Perkins just does things that get your attention. And he was doing it again last Thursday. I, I was impressed by his ability, number one, to throw on the run, rolling out to his left side and his right side. He was pretty accurate, making some throws on the sideline into some tight spaces that he was able. There were a couple of drops, but the throws were there. There were other completions, too. And then I think we talked about this last time, too, but just his ability to throw downfield, both when standing still and on the run, his ability to be pretty accurate on the run, throwing downfield. I think that's I think we talked about this last time, but that's a wrinkle in the offense that I didn't know if they would still have as they kind of transitioned into this more of an option-based dual threat kind of offense. But that's clearly still going to be a part of this offense, and it looks like he has the tools to make those throws. I think the thing that has been interesting for me as somebody who has a site with a message board has been sort of like, I, I, I don't think I've actually sort of talked about this. Did I talk about it? Anyway, I'm going to talk to you about it at least. That like I'm trying not to like overhype fan like I'm not trying to get them like weirdly um, fired up about this kid that they're not going to see for a few months because I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, um, a good idea. Yeah, I you know? agree with you. It's but at the same time, I don't want to lie. Yeah, I don't want to lie about what I see, and what I see is a kid that like has has shown me in in, in brief snippets enough to think you know what my expectation for this season should probably go up a little bit. And I don't feel like I'm doing a disservice to my readers by, by, um, by being honest. I also don't think I'm doing them a service if I'm just overhyping them for hype's sake. But if anybody asks me a direct question, I feel like I can't not answer it. And so it's when, when I talk about Bryce Perkins, I say, look, he's a really, really talented kid. He's, he's got um, 
his footwork, I think, was was outstanding. His speed, his, his he runs like a running back, and I. I caution people, you know, like David Watford was a heck of an athlete who played quarterback, but he was not an, a guy who was going to create a lot on the ground, at least not during his time at UVA. What, what Bryce has been able to do in a very short amount of time that I've seen him has been to sort of rewrite my expectations for what the offense can be. Now, execution-wise, what they do with the offensive line, how well they hold on to the ball, how well they're able to – um, you know, to play call in some in, in certain spots. I, that's all remains to be seen. I'm certainly not going to say that, like, yeah. you know, this kid's great and he's going to be all ACC and they're going to challenge for the Coastal. That's not – but I do think that, like, if you're expecting Virginia to have a subpar offense, um, you better have some rationale that bases a lot of it on, on play outside of the quarterback because I do think they're going to be fine there. Yeah, and I, I think the best way I can put it is, speaking specifically about him, about Bryce Perkins, is there hasn't been in the two practices we've been to, I can't really recall, recall – seeing something where I'm like, oh, that's not good. I like, I, I'm not so much, it, as I think to me, that's that's the best compliment I can give so far is that he hasn't, he hasn't looked out of place at all. He just, like I said, he's making the throws. Like you said, he looks like he can move. He's going to be elusive. He can run. He just, he, he hasn't looked out of place at all in this offense and what they're trying to do, or at least what we've seen them trying to do so far. And I think you would I think you would agree with me that there have been times when you've seen some quarterback play in some of these practices over the years where you're like, oh, that wasn't a good throw that I, I remember a couple of years ago. I'm not going to say which quarterback it was because he ultimately proved me wrong. But there was one quarterback there a couple of years ago. where I was like, maybe he should transfer to Bridgewater because he doesn't look like an ACC quarterback. And I did. That was just like a random observation when he was having a bad practice. And truth be told, he turned out to be a pretty good quarterback. But there are some times when. When you see guys struggle and not making the throws, and there hasn't been a time, and granted, it's a small sample size, two practices, but Bryce Perkins hasn't looked out of place at all. And that, to me, is, is to your point, a sign of encouragement. Yeah, it's noteworthy, and I think it's also consistent. I mean, how many times have you seen a situation like this where it's a, it's a wide-open quarterback race and literally nobody has any doubt about who the quarterback's going to be? Now, and I don't think that means that Brennan Armstrong is that far away. He wasn't as polished. What I saw of him in practice, he looked like a guy who had just enrolled um, for his first semester exactly. of college. He looked like a guy who was getting his first real, you know, his first real experience uh, in a college program. He's got a lot of similar tools. I mean, he's left-handed, so everything's you know backwards. But he does a lot of similar things. And I gotta say, like that's part of why I'm excited uh, about the potential for this offense. One is because I think Bryce is special, and I think you can do a lot with a kid like him, especially in a system like what UVA wants to run. My other thing is that, like, if for some reason, I mean, look, let's be honest. When you when it comes to to running uh, quarterbacks and and an offenses that are predicated on on quarterbacks who have to run in general, uh, be they you know by design or escapability and that kind of thing. Um, those offenses tend to at times have to deal with loss of personnel. You, yep. You're going to get a quarterback hurt, right? The fact that Brendan Armstrong is a similar type of quarterback, to, you know, the, the, the whole the apple cart doesn't have to be upset, right? You can you can sort of plug Brennan in, and you know you got to, like I said, he's left-handed, so you know a lot of the throws that you might you know call one way, you got to maybe think about the other because he's comfortable, you know, rolling to his left in, in a different sort of way, maybe than a um, than a right-handed quarterback might be. But but I think that because he does look where he look the look the way he has looked to me the way he moves the way he runs the, the kind of chip he carries on his shoulder um i i think that's a that's a really good sign especially this early i think to have both of those guys in spring practice um to have them you know at the time of the install 
Um, we saw a lot of running stuff, um, you know, ball, you know, pitches and, you know, all of it. I mean, in it, it's so varied that it, there's very little like play to play to play. Uh, you don't see you, you. I mean, I I commonly would joke that if I'm in the press box and I'm, I'm able to call the play, then what does a defensive coordinator who's yeah, watched who's film been for you all week, week? Right, he certainly can. But I, I'm watching these practices. I got no idea what's coming. I can look at the personnel groups and nothing. There's no consistency. Um, I, I and I gotta say. I don't know if that me- that means that 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 Robert and I is going to be a dramatically different play caller, um, but it d- does seem to um, to open up the possibility that maybe you'll be a more successful one. Overall, and when you watch the offense during pra- the, the first couple practices, especially on Thursday, what's your general sense of that group, and and where do you feel like they still have some 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 strides to make on the offense? Yeah, on that. Uh, yeah, just overall, whether it's the running game, passing game, all of it uh, overall. I think. I mean, I think these conversations always come back to because it always starts up front, right? Right. That's the old cliche, right? right? It always starts up front. I think it all starts with the offensive line and them identifying as Bronco always talks about the best five on the offensive line and how that puzzle all kind of fits together because there were times, there were times on Thursday when Bryce Perkins didn't have a lot of, a lot of protection. I thought the offensive line, and I think we talked about this with Jay James last week too, but there were times that they looked better uh, opening up holes for the running game. But in the passing game, it looks like that is still very much a work in progress. Now, we talked to Coach 2J afterward, and you got the sense from him that he's excited about the guys that they have in there now and the guys that that are on their way in here come summertime. And that's because that's been the thing they've pointed to since the day Bronco was hired. I think it may have even been the first signing day, I think, was the first time he really talked about as he got to learn the roster and who he had building depth along that offensive line has been their top priority or one of their top priorities in recruiting. And now going into year three, we're starting to maybe see that a little bit and guys that they've brought in here as they start to groom those guys. And two J talked about, he loves their attitude. He loves what he sees. It's just a matter of getting the, getting the skill up to where they need it to be. So I think that to me, I know it's a great cliche. It all starts up front, but the offensive line is going to be it's going to be the question mark all throughout the spring and summer leading up to the season I think offensively. I was a little surprised. Well, actually let me let me let me color this with some um um some background. So, when I go to these open practices, I'm typically um taking notes on my phone. I'm 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 typing out my my practice report. And one of the things that's always I, folks on my site are always curious about is who who's running with the ones, right? Yeah. So so I typically because I have I generally have a pretty good sense of you know who's going to be where, and so I typically pre-type some of that out before I get there just so it's not so hectic right when you walk out um, and you see the 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 ones come on the field, and so it, it it was a shock to me as I'm you know checking off to make sure all of my um, my my dudes are in the right place that that Ryan Nelson was at right tackle and that Chris Glazer was at left tackle, and the more I watched them, and this has been something that's also kind of a theme that I think you sort of touched on just a second ago too, they're a much better run-blocking team right now than they are pass pro. And part of that, I think, is about emphasis. I mean, they they clearly – either they believe that the offensive line can – this offensive line as it as it is currently constructed can be better in the run game and they need to keep doing that because that's who, where they think their strength lies or because they think that that's what the other talent around them needs to do, right? So it's a chicken and egg thing. Are they running the ball more because they think they're better at it or are they getting better at it because they're doing it more? Um, but I was a little surprised to see Chris Glazer at left tackle and for what I saw at practice, I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, overall, I think that the offensive line 
at least from what we've seen, and I'll be really curious to see what it's like um, at the end of spring um, in a couple weeks, but they look much com- more comfortable running the ball um, than they have in the past. Their run blocking seems to be in a really nice spot. Still obviously going to have some, um, some, some work to do. I'm not saying that they're going to you know, go out and, and, and all of a sudden you know, top Georgia Tech in, in, in rushing yards per game or anything. Um, but I do think that they're dr- dramatically improved, and it's almost like the two things have flopped. Last year, like, last year, that group, the offensive line that they had last year was much better at pass pro than run protection, and that really kind of was consistent throughout the whole year. And uh-huh. that's the exact opposite with this team. This group right now seems to be much more comfortable run blocking than pass pro, and I feel like as they are currently constructed as an offense, what the scheme looks like, what the scheme needs, what – you know what I think uh, the plays are going to be called. That's probably the way they want to trend. At the same time, like you kind of need to still be pretty good at pass pro, um, so that's got to be something they clean up. I thought um, watching the running backs, um, the only mistake I think I saw all day is there was this one pass over the middle that Jordan Ellis probably should have caught, didn't catch, and he was really beating himself up pretty hard on the uh, sideline for it. But otherwise, I thought that as a group they really looked strong. I thought they made good decisions they were sure with the ball I I thought that they were um, pretty much everything you could expect Um, as you've watched this offense uh, the last couple practices uh, aside from Bryce and we know how much how important he's going to be because he's going to run the ball a lot but overall what's your general sense of the rest of the of the group the the skill position guys I think PK looks like a guy who might be might be ready to take a step forward in the, in his second season. Obviously, he played a little bit last year as a true freshman. They've got all those second-year running backs, and I talked a lot about that. Well, a little bit. He didn't have a whole lot to say about it, but he compared it to what, like Christmas morning, all these running yeah, backs? Yeah, he said something about you know, all the presents. Like, oh, running backs. Oh, running backs. Yeah, but I think I think PK's the guy who's kind of jumped out at me a little bit, looking like a guy who's who's ready to, ready to contribute a little more. But I definitely think, back to your previous point, I think there's definitely going to be more of an emphasis on running the ball. Even when you talk to some of the receivers, like talking to Terrell Jana after practice last Thursday, he was talking about how he's gained 12, 15 pounds since his freshman year. And the first thing he mentions is how that's helped him in blocking, blocking as a wide receiver. And so if that's the first thing that's on his mind, that to me makes me think, all right, well, there's clearly an emphasis on the run game in this spring. And whether that's these running backs that they have, whether that's getting Bryce Perkins more involved in the quarterback position, more involved in the running game. I think it's probably going to be a combination of all of the above. But I definitely think, going back to your point earlier, that there is a definite emphasis on the running game. And then one other thing that really just... I know you asked about skill position players, but I wanted to mention one more thing about the offensive line. Ben Newton's huge. He's just... <laughs> he's, he's, he's a very a, large, very he's large a, kid. And Swoboda's not far behind him. And... You start thinking about if the skill catches up to the physical attributes that that a couple of guys like that have, and they still talk about wanting to put more weight on Swoboda, and you can see his frame can easily... I think he's listed at 6'10", 6'9", something like that. Like That's a monster offensive line. And when you have a quarterback maybe running the option behind that and guys can't see, it's, it's... that jumps out at me. I know you asked about skill position guys, but I that's one of the things that I've I've really that has really caught my eye is just the physical size of some of these offensive linemen and what that could lead to. Yeah, so Boda, I got to I got to mention this. So like you typically see a 6'10 kid and he doesn't look um it, let me rephrase. You see a 6'10 kid on the football field and you expect to be you expect him to look odd, 
right? He's just he's like too tall, right? Right. And typically, if we say we think six ten kids, they're, they're basketball players, and they're usually really skinny. So Boda could carry four hundred and some odd pounds, and he would look normal. Yeah, he's, the way he's proportioned, absolutely. Yeah. and he moves. I mean, like he 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 run he runs how you would expect a six foot ten offensive lineman to run, but his feet he's got. Like you can see his foot, like when he's when his feet move, it, it's sort of effortless for him. We have, I don't think we, I don't think I saw him that I recall in a in a true snap from um, um, from scrimmage, mainly because I think they're still kind of bringing him back from that back injury. Yeah, I, last year. I remember him more. I remember there were a couple of points at the first practice. Yeah, uh, when they had Swoboda at left tackle and Newton at left guard. Yeah, and you're just like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of yeah. You, you're yeah. not gonna, and that's probably gonna be hard for the quarterback to throw behind anyway. But um, I, I think with Sabota, it'll be really interesting to see what's his body like come fall, and then as he moves forward, if his foot if his footwork is as good um, as I kind of feel like it might be, and certainly as much as 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 I hear people talk about it, I'm really curious to see um, if that can be something that that really helps him. Let's move over to the other side of the ball, which is obviously. Um, uh, a, a much more known commodity in a variety of places, except for one, you know, glaring concern. And we talked about last time you were on the show, we talked about, you know, the defensive line and how thin they are and sort of uh, what kind of strides they need to make. I got to be honest, Richard Bernie kind of impressing me. I, I, I don't mean to, again, I'm not, a, I'm not one of these people who hypes for hype's sake. I'm certainly not going to give you good news just to, to give you good news. But I mean, he looked like a kid who belonged at defensive end. And I, I mean, it was not, you know, he wasn't out there um, making me forget about Andrew Brown or anything, but he was certainly doing right. a really nice job of, of doing what he needed to do. Um, as you look at the defensive line of the whole, which, you know, is, is, is super thin right now and they need, they need bodies uh, more than any position clearly on the field uh what's your general sense uh, of the of the front uh, uh, in that defense and, and how do you how, what kind of strides did you see them making in, in that respect well you were talking about Bernie, and, and like you said you're not going to hype for the sake of hikes hype's sake uh bronco mendenhall is not going to hype for the sake of hype's sake at all and for bronco to compliment bernie what was it he said last week that he's been the biggest surprise yeah that he was sleeping a lot better because yeah, the, yeah. So for Bronco to come out and say that about a guy, and Bronco even said it going into the bowl game last year about Bernie, that they had always kind of had their eye on him as a defensive lineman, and they thought he would be a really good fit there. And then circumstances sort of necessitated that move heading into the bowl game last year, and now it's a permanent deal. And so, yeah, if they, they obviously see something that they like in him at that defensive line uh, along the line too. So you have to think that as he gets more comfortable there, gets more reps in practice, there's plenty of reps to be had in practice. That's for sure. Same with Mandy Alonzo, a guy who played well coming down the stretch, started start, got a few starts in those last few games, started making some plays. He's getting a lot of reps this spring as well. And, And guys just can't benefit, get any, do anything but benefit from getting all these reps in the springtime. So hopefully that's something that they can build on. But yeah, to your point, they obviously are hurting for numbers right now. Like there's a couple of guys who they've moved when they start moving guys. I was talking before about the offensive line and how they've always wanted more depth there. When Mm -hmm. they start moving guys from the offensive line to the defensive line, like I think I saw Bischoff 
taking some, t- doing some individual drills with the defensive line. Right. Cyrus Crutchfield was an offensive lineman. The kid from Western, he played some tight end. He was a tight end at the beginning of camp, spring camp this year. He was taking some reps in individual drills with the defensive lineman. If they're moving guys to that defensive line from other positions that aren't exactly positions of depth, of positions of strength, that kind of tells you that. And of course, a lot of that too, maybe just to get reps in, in the spring. Right. They're obviously not going to play a spring game now like was originally apparently the plan because they don't have enough offensive and defensive linemen. So, yeah, I think Richard Burney's development is definitely something to keep an eye on. Alonzo's development is something to keep an eye on. Eli Handback's just, he's kind of the rock in there now. He's going into his third year as a starter. He, They know they can rely on him. They clearly like what they, they saw from him at that nose tackle spot last year. So it's just a matter of how do they fill those other spots around him going into the fall because yeah i think they definitely need more depth because they like to rotate guys in that spot as well so that's the big question yeah is getting some depth on that defensive line um i, I gotta say the I, I i just ran a video on the site of talking to malcolm cook about the move to inside linebacker and he said pretty much like hey i saw it coming um i, I knew they were going to need somebody and, and that's a real fud sort of position but one thing he said later in the interview that really kind of caught me, and I don't know if you were um, if you were over there with us talking to, to Malcolm or not, but um, you know he kind of alluded to at the end, like, look, the days of running around are over. You know, it's gonna <laughs> be a lot of hitting. And I wonder, watching Malcolm at inside linebacker, and I'm certainly not trying to make this point specifically about linebacker because I think between J Mac and Micah Kaiser last year they were more than good to go um, at the inside spot. But overall, as a team, I just thought that this looks like a tougher team. Um, there were lots of skirmishes and and little dust ups and stuff. Dudes just like getting after yeah. each other, which I thought was a Malcolm a, Cook was in the middle of one of those. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. a welcome relief to me, honestly, to see you know so because I I think they were stronger at times last year um, than they were the year before, but they still needed a significant level up in terms of toughness. It looked like a tougher team to me, um, and. Malcolm being in the middle and, and kind of being able to, to be a dude who, who lays some wood, I think, is a, is a good thing. Overall, though, that, that back seven, um, or I guess in, in this case, the, the back eight, um, they, I, I thought, you know, with Joey Blunt hurt, um, the collarbone injury, obviously he's out for the rest of the spring. So that allowed, um, because um, Britt Nelson also out, that allowed um, Chris Moore to get more burn. It also allowed uh, Noah Taylor, who was a, obviously a linebacker uh commitment early enrollee who's playing some safety um i I gotta be honest i he looked like he kind of fit there Uh, i don't know how long mother nature will allow him to stay there (laughs) um but he certainly i mean he didn't lack for speed he he had you know i thought his he 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 could turn his hips pretty well he did a good job in pursuit i gotta say he didn't he didn't look out of place to me what did you think overall of the defensive backs um during that last practice yeah and, and and about noah taylor i mean i don't think that's a move that they would make as a coaching right. staff unless they thought he he could make that move. And so I think it's a matter of finding ways to get the best players on the field. And that's another example of it, if they think they could help. But I, I, cause I mean, I look at the defensive backfield and I think that that might be at least on the, definitely on the defense, maybe on the whole roster, that might be the entire, the deepest, the deepest position group they have. I thought Darius Bratton made made some nice plays on Thursday as well. Chris Moore, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And obviously Tim Harris, Juan Thornhill, veteran guys. I still think Juan Thornhill is going to explode. I think he's yeah. 
He just he just feels like a guy. It's too bad he didn't redshirt. Not to sound like Doug Dowdy, but it's too bad. It, it's too bad he didn't redshirt that first year, and he doesn't have two years left because there's so much potential still on tap there with Juan Thornhill. I think, and if he could stay healthy, and obviously last year it seemed like he was all set to go at the safety spot. And then they had to move him to corner when Tim Harris got hurt. But again, that freed up uh, the spot to get Brent Nelson on the field. And he made a lot of plays, too. So I think the defensive backfield, th- there's depth and there's talent there. And it's just a matter of figuring out for this coaching staff what how the puzzle fits best. Linebacker, I thought it was interesting. Bronco kind of said at linebacker... Because I think prior to spring and prior to the news that Malcolm Cook was going to move inside, it makes sense from the respect that you can hear them talk about Charles Snowden and how excited they are about him and a couple other guys at the outside linebacker spot. Moving Malcolm inside frees up another spot on the outside to get one of those guys on the field. But I think think a lot of people thought maybe Zane Zandier was a guy who was in line to get more time on the inside. And Bronco made it sound like maybe he's not quite as far along in his development at this point as they were hoping he would. But that may be just a matter of guys develop at different paces at different rates. And he's still a guy who might be able to help them as well. But to your point about being tougher, I think even noticing going back to that first morning, that first practice, watching the linebackers do individuals hitting the sled, they were very, even with Jordan Mack, even with Malcolm Cook, the veteran guys who played a lot of football for them, they were very thorough in terms of Bronco talking about this after that first practice about running through guys running through tackles, making the tackles, being more physical and making those tackles. And that that was clearly a point of emphasis, just hitting the sled that first morning of making sure you're hitting the sled properly and lining guys up and tackling them properly. And I think I think that Navy might have exposed that a little bit. Navy, The way Navy kind of bounced off of guys and broke tackles against them last year, I think that got this coaching staff's attention the way they just basically ran all over UVA last year. So I do agree. And again, we saw we saw guys chipping at each other a little bit. Malcolm Cook was in the middle of that one. I can't remember who the lineman was, whose face he was in. But you were we were there two years ago when when something like that happened in practice, and Bronco just stopped practice, made them do the up downs, hundreds of them. I forget what the total was, but it went on for like 15, 20 minutes. And it almost felt like that was that was almost a display for us to show us and show everyone else that this kind of stuff isn't going to, they're not going to tolerate it anymore. But then two years later, I don't think Bronco even stepped in. No, I didn't bat an eye. didn't look like. Yeah. Yeah. Basically it's, I think, I think it's all a matter of Bronco wants to see these guys get tougher. And if that means letting guys toughen each other up a little bit, so be it. And it's an interesting, because you were there that morning two years ago. I don't remember who was involved in that one. I just remember Andrew Brown struggling through those up-downs. He's the one guy, I don't mean to single him out, but it wasn't easy for anybody, but he was the one guy who really looked like it was, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But yeah, it's just an interesting philosophy shift throughout the course of these two years. What's also interesting to me in watching the um, the sort of evolution of these guys and and also to some extent the evolution of the coaching staff like you mentioned Bronco was you know in the past really quick to to shut that down when we asked him about it last week he was like look um on some level that's just the 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 byproduct of 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 competition of guys going at each other and he seemed to almost say that like when guys are when guys are going after it bec- going after each other because they're getting after it and it's and it's within sort of the um the sort of confines of the game Right. But what he what he thinks he saw 
couple years ago was like guys who were just kind of um trying to like uh, like it, it didn't come from the from the actual game itself it came more of like just attitudes and and sort of personality he, yeah he, he made the point that essentially this was th- this stuff was about like they're going at they're going after each other hard and so they get on each other's nerves because you know what i mean because there's a there's a chippiness about it right um i i, I don't think that you know any I, i'm certainly not gonna gonna make the argument that virginia should like get personal foul penalties and and we, <laughs> we know that bronco in the past has had a team that has been penalized but at the same time i, I do think a toughness upgrade was really required and, and i don't know um I, I don't know that that happens if not for sean griswold and and i think that was one of the interesting questions after the end of the season when ucla came and basically hired frank Wintrick's whole staff what direction would UVA go? And it seems like what they've done is they've kind of gone real old school with it. Like that's not to say Grizz doesn't, doesn't still employ a lot of like new age sort of modern um, concepts. But when I talked to Grizz versus when I would talk, when I talked that first time to Frank, like Frank was almost speaking a different language. Um, It was very technical, very scientific. What Grizz talks about is much more, um, tangible it, it's when he talks about you know we're going to pull big weight we're going to you know we need to you know we need to be stronger and tougher like it, it it sort of seems to fit to me what this team and this program needed and I gotta say like what I'm what I'm seeing out there and again we've only seen two practices we haven't we haven't been able to see a whole lot of like um to be able to track too many trends right so you could see a guy who's who's doing this better now than he was maybe two weeks ago but overall, what I what I see is a tougher, stronger team, and certainly that's that was a that was a department Virginia struggled in um, greatly um, last year. Um, David, last thing before we wrap up, I, I'm curious about your your overall sort of feel um, for where things are for this team right now. What's your general sort of um, launching point for the re- for you know whether it's the the final spring practice or just going into fall camp in general, what's your general feel for this team? And, and do you have a sense yet of what you should expect from them? I think kind of to bring things full circle, but you get the sense at least from guys on the offensive side of the ball that they're excited about about the way they've tweaked the offense, the changes they've made to the offense. And I think they're excited about being able to run the ball better. They're excited about having a less predictable game plan a less predictable attack you i just that's the sense i get is that guys are excited and i also get the sense that there are some young guys on this team who i just think they're hungry to to make plays to to make their presence known guys who maybe played a little bit maybe didn't play at all last year again to br- to bring it back to Terrell Jana he was a guy who he he played a little bit got some snaps i think had a couple of catches but didn't exactly make a huge impact as a true freshman, but he's talking about like adding the weight and being a playmaker for this team this year. And I think there are a lot of guys on both sides of the football who you get the sense that as this program transitions into Broncos program, instead of guys Bronco inherited, it's now becoming more and more guys Bronco has brought in and who only know his philosophy, only know his culture. And you get the sense that that, this is where, to me, the foundation is really going to start to build. And it feels like that's starting to happen, or at least guys are trying their best to make that start to happen this spring. I would, I would agree with that. I think other thing I would add about it is that um, – can I say pain in the ass on the podcast? Um, I think Virginia's going to be a pain in the butt for a lot of, a lot of teams on the schedule this year. 
I do think that they that if you look at the the way the schedule sort of lines up, there's really no sense given what I've seen from them. Um, surely they they've got some question marks to answer, um, but they um, they obviously have some some answers to to fill in those blanks, right? Um, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to be running a different offense. I, I don't know if they're going to go true tempo. I, that's something I think that is TBD. Um, but it certainly would make a lot of sense given. I bet they want to. I, yeah, I think they do too. Yeah. Um, I, I would make a lot of sense to me given what they're running and, and the fact that they have so, they have so much depth at running back. Like they really shouldn't, um, they, they really shouldn't have any issue there. Um, in terms of um, you know, in terms of being able to to put guys on the on the on the field who can who can do a variety of things and then get out of the, get out of the way, um, it it also seems like to me that um, you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a season where um, expectations will be low um, and like you said, guys are are clearly hungry um, to sort of you know to 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 prove people wrong. To, they're they're hungry to take to take ownership of. Um, you know, to step up and to, and to take ownership of their opportunities. But I think they also are very, very mindful of like the, the overall sort of, um, you know, sort of the way that the, that people view the program. And I think that they do have a, a hunger to change that, but again, a chip Damon, on their shoulder. It's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but Damon, look, man, I really appreciate the time. This, this obviously went a little longer than, than I, than I told you we probably would go. Uh, so no I really, worries. I really appreciate it. Um, we want to thank everybody out there can, for continuing to support the show and, and giving us a listen as always. It's, uh, it's great to, to be able to, um, to do this every week and, and know that you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, and, and honestly too, to have folks on the show like Damon who can provide some, uh, some good uh, offsetting commentary to, to, to me just bloviating all over the place. Uh, for Damon Dillman, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you soon.